0: Welcome to the Classroom Brew Podcast. The teacher podcast It's a little bit like Drunk History. But wait, do you guys actually drink while you record episodes? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Have you done a podcast before? Is this is the first one.
1: Yeah, I did. Um, I've done a few. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've done a handful. Okay.
0: It's nice, right? It's just like relaxing and just kind
1: of chatting yeah at chatting. least that's how i see it it's kind of just talking and
0: you know i did do one though where i was like i'm actually intimidated by this guy like it actually kind of scared me like they like had their research done and i was like i didn't know there was that someone much about me out there uh someone that i was i was on theirs oh i don't cool. want to say who it was i don't even know if it, it posted but yeah. when i was done i was like i felt like i was working like, oh really it was scary yeah welcome back to classroom brew this is episode 116 if you haven't already rate and review all that good stuff you can reach us on social media or email me glassroombrew at gmail.com for this week i've actually got an instagram would you, would you count yourself as instagram famous i don't even know i feel like to me you are because I, I see all this stuff and i'm like he's got some cool stuff going on but um we have paul france on for this one thanks for coming down and thanks for having me he brought me a nice little modge podge of like little beers i can try on the podcast but, <laughs> um so you are on instagram you're at at Paul underscore Emrick, right? Yep. Is that your middle name? It's my middle name, yeah. When you go on Instagram as a teacher, what's like your main goal? Like the first thing that you want to like get across when it comes to posting content? That's a good
1: question. It's actually something I'm, I think I, I'm i constantly reevaluating, especially right now. What I hope to do is start conversations mm-hmm. because I think that's the way we learn mm-hmm. is by talking to one another. And I think sometimes that's, that entails just saying what you think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think sometimes it entails, entails pushing back
0: on people or pushing back on systems or pushing back just on things that don't feel quite right. And you do this post too, where it's just like a bunch of big words with like some sort of a statement or maybe it's yep. just a buzzword and then you kind of go into detail in the caption, right? Yep, yeah.
1: Okay. And I think that's what we need to be doing more of in education is having critical conversations about yeah, yeah. things that impact our students and things that impact us as teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I
0: hope my posts do. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, they got my attention for the same reason. So uh, I guess a little background though. So right now uh, you're back in Chicago for this is like mm-hmm. the second or third year you're back. Yeah. Uh, what grade do you teach right now? I teach third grade. Okay. So they're not reading the post. They're not seeing them necessarily. They are not, no. um, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> have you noticed? That kinda, I know a few of my students, I teach high school. Yeah. They've, some of them, once they become seniors, they know about it and I tell them. Yeah. But there were a few, like a couple of years ago that were like, hey, what's, uh, what's classroom brewing? I was like, oh shit. Like, yeah. God damn it. But <laughs> have you noticed that like when you, when you post things, like is it stuff that you notice beforehand or you, you come to some sort of a thought and then you implement it in your classroom or how, what usually comes first with like chicken or the egg right here?
1: Oh, I don't know if it's either or. Like, I think sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. Okay. I mean, I really, I try not to post about, I try not to post recommendations for the classroom that I don't feel like I've tried, you know, mm-hmm. but there are some things I talk about that I haven't experienced firsthand. Okay. You know, like I've worked for predominantly, I've been in public, I've been in public school, I've been in, in like the business sector, you know, mm-hmm. private education, Still teaching. And then I've been in private school nonprofit. Sure. Um, but all three of those environments were I was working with relatively affluent population, predominantly white students. So you're talking, you know, one subset of American education. Right, right. And so like I talk a lot about, post somewhat about, and I write a lot about equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes that entails me writing about, you know, public school systems and communities of color. And um, even though I haven't taught in, I have not taught in an environment that is predominantly students of color or predominantly low income or any sort of intersection of, of those. Sure. So when I, when I post about pedagogy though, I try to post about things that, you know, I have tried (laughs) that I've experienced either success with or that have not
0: worked to talk about why it doesn't work. Sure. Sure. So now you were in Chicago, you went to San Francisco mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so it's still the same type of population, I'm assuming?
1: Yeah. So when I was in when I was in public school here, it was the suburbs. And then when I went to San Francisco, I was working for a tech company called Alt School. And we were building personalized learning technologies. And so that did attract a different type of of family, just in the sense that you know, cost thirty thousand dollars to go to the school oh, a year. <laughs> oh my god. Um, student loans just for that, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you're talking about a population of people that could afford that. That's true. You know, That's true. Yeah, so yeah. that that gives you some perspective into like the kind of money <laughs> they're making. Nice. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was also in, you know, Silicon Valley. So it's a lot of people that were really excited about tech and right, right. and everything. Um and I mean similarly here in Chicago, I'm working for a private school and <laughs> the tuition is similar. So, so that's, yeah, that's the, I'm working with predominantly affluent communities,
0: predominantly, you know, white sure. students. If it's a similar population, what was like the big reason to want to go to San Francisco? Like, was it for this mm. tech job? Was it for the school opportunity? And like, why the decision to come back? Yeah. Well, so I left Chicago. It's, it's kind
1: of a, a combination of running from and running to something. Okay. Um, My fourth year in Public school in the suburbs. That was actually the year that marriage equality was legalized here in Illinois. Okay. And right after the ruling was made public, one of my colleagues wanted to do a lesson on it and share it with the kids. And straight colleague, by the way, that matters to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And I kind of knew that it wouldn't go over well with <clears throat> our principal. And at the time, I was I would not have admitted this, but it's far enough out now are we there are enough enough time has elapsed now that I feel comfortable saying this that like I we, we basically we, we put together a lesson we informed the parents that we were going to do it in a couple weeks and we didn't ask for permission from the administration
0: you said that in the letter to parents that there was it wasn't admin approved or no we was, didn't say it was oh, okay. we just okay. said we're
1: doing this in two weeks you know okay. like um, because of this this is a current event and ties with our curriculum in terms of x y and z and mm-hmm. Um, we didn't tell that we didn't ask for permission. We did notify the administration too, and that was really what got us in a lot of trouble. And the reason that, you know, I didn't want to notify the administration is because i I wanted to do like a ask for forgiveness, right? not permission sort of a which, thing, which a lot of disclaimer I would not advise doing. <laughs> That's not me saying you should go out and do that because I mean, there were a lot of ramifications for me. um mm-hmm. we
0: got in a lot of trouble. um my really? Just for the content, or was it the way that... It was
1: mostly the way we went about it, Um, but at the end of the day, they wouldn't let us teach the lesson, so it yeah, was, it it was like, partially the content, Like, if too. you're doing,
0: like, Trail of Tears, they're not going to give a shit, but because right. of the content, it's still kind of in there. That's kind of yep. sad, really.
1: It was it was very sad. Actually, the year before, I had... That was right when they started doing, that, like, the excellent rating. You know, do they still do that?
0: Oh, um... Like, they do the four uh, levels... It's... Oh, shit. distinguished is now what it's called. Yeah, so it was distinguished, proficient, and then so that so was on. the
1: first year that they started doing that, like in Illinois. And I got, or sorry, that was the second year. I got it the first year, and the second year, it was like that was the thing that held me back was that I, you know, uh, okay. tried to do this lesson about LGBT inclusivity oh. in my classroom without asking permission. Yeah, that's um, shitty though. That's like, uh, no, it was. It was. I mean, it was absolutely discriminatory. Yeah, it absolutely 100%. was. Um, so anyway. But the remainder of the school year was was tough because, like the superintendent came to talk to me. He didn't go and talk to my straight counterpart who was equally as involved in it yeah, oh my god i was it was like, you know paul, this is the classroom's not the place for your personal agendas and that whole kind of thing. And to me, I'm thinking like, well, if we have a female teacher who's advocating for, you know, Advocating to teach about women's rights, which they absolutely should. Right, personal agenda versus yeah, that's not a personal agenda. agenda. That's just like yeah. Anyway, so um, towards the end of the year, I I had like been starting to look for jobs because I was like, I can't handle this.
0: Right, I feel like I would be Um, anxious the entire time after that happened. Just like everything I do is going to be scrutinized. I was
1: anxious. I was angry. I was sad. Um, At the end of the year, my principal wanted to. So I was teaching fifth grade at the time and for a lot of schools fifth graders like sex ed. Oh, okay. You know. Okay. So, we we're talking about, you know, upcoming sex ed and my principal comes into the one of the meetings and she's like, "I have I have an idea." And I I could tell she was trying, but like she just didn't see her like heterosexual lens that she was placing over that, mm-hmm. over this conversation.
0: She said um and not that many months removed from when she's saying like, shame on you for doing this yeah. lesson. Okay. It was, like, six months after, I want to say. Um, and she, so she
1: said, well, maybe our sex ed unit's a great time to teach about different types of families, like, specifically about gay families. And I was like, ah. like, that's exactly what we're trying to get away from is, like, the first time. Yeah. Like, we don't want the first time they learn about LGBT people for it to be sexualized. In the, mm-hmm. And especially in this, like, really uncomfortable like, they're all going to go into sex ed. They know what they're going to learn about. Right. It's really uncomfortable to begin with. And like, now let's make that their first exposure to a family with two dads or a family with two moms. Right. And it would just, it like, and I, so I was like, I, I disagree with with this. I don't think we should be doing this this way. This, this goes against the whole rationale for teaching them about this in the first place yeah. before, you know, before sex ed and before they're sexualized. You know, it's just about love and family. Yeah. You know, that's what it's about. Good for you, by the way, and, um, I was standing up, like, I feel like I would have been too scared to do that. So, so well, I should have been scared because she did not like that. Um, she oh. was very upset about it and then, actually the next day, I think it was the next day, it was either the next day or a couple of days after I was taking my national board test and I'm glad I didn't see the email until after the test was done and my team was like texting me and I saw all their texts after um, I t- took my test but she'd emailed and said she wanted to meet with me to go through my classroom library to make sure I didn't have any inappropriate oh books God. in there. Jeez. And the implication was very clear that it was like gay books or LGBT yeah. books. Um, again,
0: discriminatory.
1: It was very, yeah. Um, so yeah, all those events, like I, I ended up getting my evaluation and it was, you know, she wrote it in there. Actually her, I put her evaluation in my book, which yeah. Um, <laughs> well, cause I want people to be able to spot this when they see this stuff, you know, it's sure. like, you have to know what it looks like yeah. and it's so subtle. Um, it's subtle, but it's even though it's subtle it is very abusive and very mm-hmm. like she she did that with intent, yeah. you know, to yeah. and it wasn't I don't think it was necessarily intent to like hurt me per se, but it was intent to control. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. Um which by default is still that's a it can be yeah, that can be abusive or yeah. is abusive. So anyway, so that that whole thing led me to leave. Chicago um I was convinced too that I would like never work in Chicago again I, I had mm-hmm. this perception that everybody talked and everybody would know who I was and like she would tell all the principals and sure. like they all you know had like like they had some sort of like slack channel or something that they were, <laughs> um,
0: which Just turned wait, out not to be true is. it's called the chicago Illuminati or something yeah. like that like some made-up bullshit
1: <laughs> um but anyway so I found alt school because um I was looking to work in tech and okay. education technology so I went out there I ended up getting a job out there and I went out there and it was really exciting because we were supposed to be building tech for the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had been, I had been a part of a, you know, one-to-one pilot and in Glenview where I taught and Chromebooks uh, or tablets or what was it? uh, iPads. Yeah. Um, So I was just fascinated by education technology. I thought it was, I thought it was the solution, you know,
0: which was totally my like, so you just posted that thing, too, where it's like the teacher differentiates, not this, and it's a, someone yep. with an iPad. So totally, yeah. We've kind of seen both sides now.
1: I have, yeah. And so that's, yeah. So I worked in, in Silicon Valley for three years, and it's just another – sometimes I feel like I only have these, like, horror stories, you know, <laughs> or at least those are the ones I talk about a lot because it really <laughs> is just education and – Education isn't necessarily a hard place to work. Being a teacher in education is really hard. Yeah. I know that sounds like a little bit redundant, but there are a lot of people who work in education that aren't teachers
0: <laughs> and they're the ones who make it really hard. Right. Those are the experts, quote unquote, who've right. never done anything in the classroom ever right. in their life.
1: And that was my experience in Silicon Valley was that like, you know, all the all the money, all the resources were in the hands of the people who weren't teaching, yeah. you know. And there were just a lot of things along the way like I realized that 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 our hypothesis for personalization was very flawed and not working anywhere in the in the system um the way that they marketed you know sure and i pushed back on it i mean i got to, got to the end of the first year there and like didn't even recognize my own classroom i was like this is not mm. my, this isn't my, my classroom you know this isn't the yeah. way i teach this is not this is not me mm-hmm. you know it's not and it's not that it's about me necessarily but it's like I know better than this. Sure. That's that's what where well, I got.
0: And not to mention too like so you know it's going to work for your kids more than anyone else, but also you've already been in the past the you like in mm-hmm. quotes has already been stifled down and shut down and like that's going to take a toll on like how effectively you can promote whatever you want to teach. So it could be writing, it could right. be math, anything. If it's something that you don't believe in or you don't identify with because yeah. you've just been told no, 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 shame on you, mm-hmm. don't teach that. Like it's got to take an effect.
1: Yeah, I mean I guess that yeah, that's that's really good perspective. And I think if I wasn't a gay teacher, I probably wouldn't be as I'm <laughs> kind of a pain in the ass, honestly. <laughs> you know, like and I, I don't think I would be if I wasn't gay because yeah. like when I first started teaching, I was terrified to for anyone to know that I was okay. gay. I was really? so afraid. Um because I was I was just afraid someone was gonna find out and then You know, all the parents would lose respect for me or like think Uh I was a pedophile or something or because people think that, you know, out there in the world. You know, so I was terrified of that. And then that thing happened in public school with the marriage equality lesson. And I think it was my first experience, like not being the good student. Even growing up, I was always like, I did what all my teachers told me. I loved my teachers. I got good grades all the time. Like I was a very compliant student, you know. And that was like one of the first times in my life that I was really just like this is this is not okay and I'm yeah. and I don't care what you think like I'm pushing back on this. And so it it got me to a place in San Francisco where I felt like I'm pushing back on this because I think this is wrong and you know I've now over a 10 year career have learned somewhat how to weather <laughs> those feelings, you know, like of disappointing people or of people being Mm. upset with me, whether it's publicly or privately. Um, It's not always easy, but.
0: (laughs) We constantly have to like, like something happens, we like look to somebody like that kind of a thing. Yeah, Yeah. totally. So yeah. Does this include like, even in like department meetings too, where you're like hesitant to speak up there? Or is this like a major initiative is brought into the classroom and you're like, you know what guys, I I got something to say.
1: I think it's a matter of picking your battles. Mm -hmm. You can't be the squeaky wheel for everything, (laughs) you know? Because otherwise, then you're just like telling everybody what not to do, right? And you're not actually telling, which is actually a, a major point of reflection for me as of late, because okay. I think I have done a lot of that. I think I have, I have provided a lot of the contrary and perspective
0: like on in, Instagram. In your okay, and and I, was and ask, I think
1: yeah. just in my everyday life too. And I I'm trying to be more mindful and aware of finding the positive things and finding mm-hmm. the things that I see that are working. Yeah. Um, cause you can't really build relationships, right? If you're just pointing out the negative things mm-hmm. and that's what like, like right now, if I were to say like, that's, that's the thing I'm learning
0: right now at this very point in time. It almost sounds like when you do like a parent conference for that one kid that you're like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> so you start with the positive and then you go to the negative. It's almost like that, but kind of weathering whether or not to say that negative. Yeah. But with adults.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I think that, yeah, it's, it's, I think what it is is it's putting the relationship first. Yeah. I think one of the things that bothers me most about Instagram is I think people who post a lot, people who are putting, you know, controversial ideas out there, people who are, you know, doing more than just posting selfies <laughs> and, you know, yeah. you're, you're like opening your brain up for criticism. You're opening yourself up, your brain up, your identity up for criticism, right? Yeah. And what bothers me is I'm sure there are, would be some people out there that will tell you this is not true about me, but... <laughs> I know in my heart of hearts that when I see someone out there who's like really engaging in the work and who's being vulnerable with their ideas, with themselves, who is like, you know, for all intents and purposes, fighting the good fight, Mm -hmm. I absolutely can take criticism from them, you know? Okay. Um, You see merit in what they offer. Yeah. Cause I just, I know it's coming from a place of, of wisdom and like, not to say that, anyway, so where I was going with that was, <laughs> was that, you know, there, one of the reasons why social media is, is really tough is because there are people that they kind of lurk in the comments, yeah. you know, yeah. um, they troll <laughs> and, and I, and I say this too. I say this to weaving in that reflection I just mentioned, like, I want to be less contrarian i want to find the positives more like i see that behavior in myself sometimes mm-hmm. or have seen it because i think social media can bring that out in people so i don't want to say it like i'm not susceptible to it or i've never been sure. guilty yeah. of it but so what's hard for me on social media is is the like comment lurkers mm-hmm. and the you know those that it's hard to take criticism there when you don't see the, people out there that are doing the work and
0: you know well especially too like it's hard to take it in general because you don't know who they are but then Mm -hmm. because they know that you don't know who they are they kind of ramp it up a little bit they turn the dial up a little extra more
1: i mean social media doesn't afford that courtesy to all of us right yeah somewhat of anonymity even a well-known person (laughs) you don't know them personally
0: right right. you know their image do you ever get tired of like the like a maintaining or Oh, God, whatever yeah. with Instagram or like whatever the conversation yeah. is, or just in general, the act of doing I'm it. I'm
1: so tired. Yeah. I'm so tired right now.
0: Um, <laughs> in this moment. Like, yeah.
1: No, I mean like it. So, cause recently I I posted something recently about like influencer culture mm-hmm. um, and it like mm-hmm. totally blew up in my face. And, you mm-hmm. know, I think some of it was warranted. I think some of it, you know, I, I was calling out the kind of like ad culture and like people getting followers <laughs> just so they can push ads, you know, right. and, and, you know, somebody pushed back and said, that well some people do this to make ends meet because teachers don't get paid enough. And and I thought, well, okay. That's like That's a point. That's that's something I I that I'm sure that exists out there. I'm sure that there are some people out there that need to do that. I still think there's some like nuance there. That's like it's not as simple as people can push ads because they have student debt to pay off or because they have bills. Mm-hmm. Um I think I, I saw my um I'm trying to say the word blind spot anymore cuz people are saying that's like ableist language but you know oh, I wow. saw my didn't think of that. Yeah, I saw my like my privilege I guess, you know, cuz I I don't need I Shouldn't say I don't need to cuz like my family too has six figure student debt. It's not like it's like whatever. Um but like in my day-to-day do I need to push ads to make extra money? No, I don't. Um is part
0: of it just like because it's it's everywhere, like, and it's just like you listen to a podcast and you hear it every five seconds, or yeah. there's always so, like everyone wants to be a brand, or is for, it what comes behind it? That's for more. for me, it's that I feel like education has become so
1: commercialized, mm, yeah, and that yeah. teachers are kind of objects of capitalism. We have been the whole system is right, like it's it's a system that in some ways is meant to like create. Create people who will fill jobs or grow people yeah, who will fill yeah. jobs, right? Um and so when I see when I saw when I see and when I saw teachers like pushing ads for things to other teachers who probably can't afford to buy the things that they're pushing anyway. Right. Which feels a little bit like And this is anything from like software to like those little bins, I think is what you were posting about. You know, right? I'm talking about any type of product. Like okay. people push all types of products online. Um, but yes, that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um it's like you're pushing things to a group of people that are probably, that you're, you're saying are already strapped for cash. Mm. So it feels a little tone deaf to do that, <laughs> yeah. you know? So anyway, you asked if I was exhausted by Instagram. I absolutely am. Because when stuff like blows up in your face, it's like, wow, like this is this is exhausting. But it also like, on the other hand, I don't want to like let myself off the hook. Like when I post something, I have to be accountable for what I post. Sure. You know, I have to make sure that, When I'm posting something, I am as aware as I can be of the privilege, any privilege that I have, whether it's my white privilege or, you know, whether it's my male privilege Mm -hmm. or whether it's my, I think financial privilege is really hard to prove because they're hard to identify in anyone, but I just have to be aware of those things. Sure.
0: Um, So. Do you think it's something where, like thinking about Instagram and things like that, uh, because you can actually... Express who you are, your identity. So, uh, you got married to your, your now yep. husband, and you had some backlash, like in like the months leading up to your wedding, where mm-hmm. like some person that uh, and you didn't know this person, right? But they just still found a way. Do you think it becomes more of a, a hindrance for your ability to post or want to be on Instagram, or is it more of a? This is a place I can also express who I am as a teacher, uh, as a gay man, as whatever yeah. you choose to put on there, or.
1: I think in terms of being an out teacher, Instagram has been very, like, it's been great for that. Oh, okay. good. Because for every one person who pushes back, hundreds, thousands even mm-hmm. of people are supportive. That's nice. Um, That's nice to hear. So that has been great. And I think actually you'll see that on teacher Instagram, that, like, there is a community that is really dedicated to social justice. Mm-hmm. And I think... um it offers a sense of community because a lot of times teachers who are pursuing social justice or anti-bias or anti-racist work in their schools are in the minority. Yeah. And I don't mean yeah. like in a racial minority necessarily. A lot of them are, but like, I mean, like they're just Quality in a minority of people. of people who are pursuing that work. And so to have a community of people who are doing the work and who are talking about mistakes they've made or like, hey, be more aware of something like blind spot, right? A- right, ableist language, like,
0: yeah, yeah. Simple to us, I should say. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's something. Like those are the types of things that I've learned from being on Instagram, mm-hmm. which I think does keep me coming back.
0: You know. How often do you think you're on it, like on Instagram? Like, is it something it where it's that. <laughs> 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 like I'm scrolling right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's exhausting it's for me, much. and I, I'm not that big on Instagram. Well, that's.
1: I mean, that's kind of like the fatal flaw of social media, right? And of of that sort of personalized tech in general is that like you have to be on it a lot for it to work. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. So you have to be on it a lot for it to like send you things that you're going to like, you know, and you have to be on it a lot to find people to follow and then you have to check in on those people that you follow and it becomes somewhat of a job.
0: Sure. Um, Watches. I'm like taking notes, all right, fine, sell anything to teachers.
1: (laughs) It just be, It's it's, so I am on it a lot. I'm on it Mm -hmm. way too much. My husband will tell you I'm on it way too much. And he was like, after this recent kind of, blow up he was like this doesn't really make you happy why are you doing this mm-hmm. and I was like "That's. I think I need to reconnect with that you know and I think it's sure. really easy to fall fall into a trap of measuring yourself by the number of followers and likes I know yeah. I've fallen into that trap and I think anyone who says they haven't fallen into that trap is lying to themselves <laughs> honestly Right. so it's it's
0: it's a lot of time and I think that Instagram uh, not in the US but somewhere and they're thinking about doing it in the US is getting rid of, like, being able to see likes and followers or something, right? For that exact purpose. Like, I don't know how it's going to work if, like, people are talking about advertising and sponsors, but I heard they're getting rid of that for that very purpose. Probably for the best. I I mean, yeah, honestly. When I first started the podcast, for example, I didn't have an Instagram. Then I did eventually. And then it was like, all right, got to get that number up. Mm -hmm. And then you have to download, like, well, not have to, uh, but I used to have this app that would track, like who is and isn't following you and if they drop off and it's yep. a, it's crazy. There's like a million apps for this there's, thing. And
1: there's also like, there's a psychological component to that that's very unhealthy. And I think like.
0: Like the, the reciprocity of it or.
1: Like constantly checking on who's following you and who's not following you. Mm. You know, like that's. I think psychologically unhealthy i'm, I'm, I'm yeah. saying that having been in that place where i was doing that you oh know? yeah for sure and i had I think, to delete it i was i
0: can't do this anymore it's i stupid. think
1: that's you know in some ways it was one of the contributing factors to like i'm really talking about the last the last couple weeks hmm. um but i think that was one of the contributing factors to me like i think i was posting too flippantly i was posting kind of like one-liners and stuff that like because I wanted to make I wanted to make an impact, you know? I wanted to like mm-hmm. catch people's attention. And I think that's what social media does to a lot of people. It's like, you only have so much space. You only have sure. this image, like, you gotta grab people's attention within three seconds because all of our attention spans are so short, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and I think, so I think in some ways then, you know, Instagram, Twitter, social media in general is changing the way we measure success in mm-hmm. teaching, you know, especially for those of us who are engaged online and in education. I said that recently online and someone very prominent pushed back on that and said you know that this is a, you know a really small subset of people and I and I'm I'm thinking to myself like it may be a smaller subset of the teaching population I don't know the exact percentage or whatever but it's still like a small ripple can change an entire system yeah. and that's what I see social media doing because it's growing and growing and growing especially in the teaching world especially as veteran teachers get phased out and new teachers come in i mean yeah. teachers are coming out of college and starting an Instagram teacher account. Like that is like part of what teachers that is <laughs> yeah. was not yeah. what I was thinking about 10 years ago when I started teaching. Right. And it's not necessarily bad that people are starting social media accounts. It's just that, you know, what's being done with it isn't really it's only making education more and more of a business because people are thinking if I start an Instagram account, I can acquire all these followers, then I can get ad promotions and I can create products to sell. To other teachers online. And I just think there's something slightly problematic about that that we're not talking about because the people who have the most followers and that are benefiting from that aren't going to talk about that.
0: Right. And I think I, I was looking through it too. You really don't post about your classroom like almost at all on your page. Have you ever? It's really or? hard
1: to, you know, because I've been reading all this stuff. I mean, a lot of so a teacher on Instagram ta- posts, posts a lot about FERPA. Okay. Yeah. And it's like the, you know, the privacy act and um, you know I'm trying not to post specific things about my classroom because I don't want to identify anybody you know right you know I also find and this is this is again where I I need to reevaluate and reconnect with what I'm doing people don't care about what you're doing in your classroom I mean yeah they don't you know it's like the things that get the most likes on my Instagram are pictures of me and my husband I mean that's, he's that's he's very husband. handsome so positive. sure um <laughs> but like or you know when I make these kind of big statements about something related in to a social negative justice. way positive
0: way or is it just in general the most attention on social media both ways okay
1: yeah both um and I think I don't know, i I do I do see some teachers out there that do get a lot of traction for social justice inspired mm-hmm. posts and i think that's great because i think it's needed i think people need to get fired up about that but i don't see a ton of people getting fired up about like oh, i did this great lesson today and it worked because right. you know this like look at these student samples and blah blah blah. you know
0: right, right. um unless they pe- have a cool accent like there's an australian teacher i followed as she and stuff I'm like i have to see her teach these little kids how to speak australian accents but
1: yeah pe- i think people just are not as interested in like the things that really make our classrooms go mm-hmm. you know and that, that, like, makes me really sad. And that's really at the heart of my criticisms about influencer culture on Instagram, which I need to be better about communicating. I need to be, I need to find a way to refine that message and, like, make it more palatable and, like, make mm-hmm. it more, you know, help people see that. Because that's really why we're here. mm
0: mm-hmm. Right, we're yeah. here to reach kids on a personal level. In terms of your classroom, then, because because you, you don't post a lot about it for that that reason. But what are some things that you are really invested in that you care about with your kids? Um, it's a very loaded question, of course. But. Yeah, there's. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot.
1: I think the thing I care, the thing I care about most is is agency, autonomy, independence. Okay. You know, those all are different terms, but they're all related to one another. Because I think at the heart of culturally responsive pedagogy. At the heart of personalized learning is student autonomy, agency, independence. It's like a liberation kind of thing, right? In order for kids to be their true selves, they have to learn how to make decisions on their own, in their own skin, mm-hmm. using their own background knowledge and their own lived experiences to make those decisions and learn. learn. Um and that is what's most important to me. And and that also, too, you know, when you're talking about that, you get into a more theoretical place. It's like you're not necessarily talking about the the student work or the, yeah, yeah. you know, it's... The which stuff is that you can't like, show on the stuff that they evaluate us on. Right. Is all the theoretical stuff that matters. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's like, that is a theme in my book. Like I write about personalized learning and a lot of people think personalized learning is... Well, a lot of people define personalized learning as tech, technology powered <laughs> Or technology driven right. individualization of curriculum, and I having worked for a personalized learning company and seeing the ways of thinking that shape the tools that are I think reductive and uninformed. Now I believe that like personalized learning is is about helping a student shape their own education because yeah, yeah. which is actually to tie it back into social media, right? Like <laughs> social media is personalized not because the company necessarily is doing it on your behalf social media becomes personalized because you are entering data every time you open that phone. Every time you, every time you stop over a picture, every time you yeah. double click on a picture, every time you comment on a picture, every time you like, look up something, right? They're collecting data and they're using the data that you enter
0: mm-hmm.
1: to shape your feed. So really, you're the one
0: that's shaping your feed. Yeah. Right. And you can and even see it too, how they categorize you if you look close enough in your settings and yep. things like that. And so I
1: think like personalization in our classrooms should work the same way, just not with digital tech. <laughs>
0: right. Not using it in that
1: right. weird way. But that way. like kids should be shaping their own because that is what makes something personal when someone has a hand in shaping their own education. Now that I don't think that means that like all kids should be building all their own lessons and like choosing to learn whatever they want to learn about. Because I think we as the teachers are responsible for knowing that like, hey, in third grade, it's really important that you learn your math facts. (laughs) That's important. And I I actually don't care if you want to learn that or not. Yeah. Because I know it's going to help you later. My job is to make you see that it's relevant and to engage you in it and to help you, you know, connect with it in some way. But like, anyway, so that is what I really care about is autonomy agency. And I think links so closely to culturally responsive pedagogy and just helping every child step into their own shoes and be them best be their best selves, really and any child.
0: Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. So the book itself too. So you you talk about like it's personalized learning, things like that. But you also it's it's including stuff about how to know if an employer is basically discriminating against you for whatever reason. What's what's the what's the title of the book by the way I forgot to ask the
1: title of the book is Reclaiming Personalized Learning. Okay. And so one of the first questions a lot of people ask me is, why are we reclaiming it? Hmm. What is there to be claimed or reclaimed? And from my three years working in San Francisco for a tech company, I was able to see that education technology has claimed personalized learning as their own. They've they've claimed it and branded it as like, you need to buy our tools in order to personalize in your classroom. And by the end of my time there, I saw that... It wasn't the tools that were personalizing it was the teachers mm-hmm. you know and that when you look at that word personal personalizing right like the base of that word is person you know it's yeah. about it's about a person it's about people and what tech companies do and it's usually you know it's usually motivated by usually profit motivated you know it's like they want they're <laughs> trying to make money off of the education system or the families or or the students yeah um they've claimed this as their own because they can say like, look, this is personalized because every child gets their own set of activities or every child gets their own very specific activity. And so I argue that, you know, this is bad for a number of reasons. Um, One, you know, when you have kids all working on something different in the classroom where you have them all staring at screens, it's, it's chipping away at human connection in the classroom, which I think that's incredibly critical to learning. Um, But then also, You know, these tools that are that are being built, they're not cheap Mm -hmm. and they're being marketed to lots of schools. But you hear about, you know, urban public school districts. Actually, Mm -hmm. Chicago is um, one of the like hubs of personalized learning in the country. Mm -hmm. I just recently learned this. I had no idea. And you see that they're targeting a lot of urban schools um, that are predominantly students of color because they're talking about quote unquote achievement gaps and how to close these yeah. achievement gaps. And
0: <laughs> I feel like I talk about that every day working in a school. Yeah, exactly like that. But
1: um, And so I'm reading right now um, Ibram Kendi's book, um, how to be an anti-racist. And he's, he specifically talks about, I mean, how racism is, ben- is embedded everywhere in our culture everywhere, but specifically in that term of the achievement gap, right? Mm-hmm. Because, when you look at the, like, quote-unquote, again, I'm trying to do air quotes here, (laughs) quote-unquote, because I don't believe the achievement gap is a real thing. Um, They talk about the achievement gap between, you know, black students and white students. And really that, quote-unquote, achievement gap, or, like, those differences in test scores are the result of opportunity gaps Mm -hmm. that are the results of systemic racism that we can trace back centuries, you know? And so it's kind of disgusting when you think about it, that, like, personalized learning companies... Are capitalizing on that, and actually, you know, schools, school systems, school districts are spending money on these personalized learning tools to "quote unquote" close achievement gaps mm-hmm. that are really symptomatic of systemic racism. Yeah, absolutely. And so they're not actually doing anything to to mm-hmm. personalized learning tools. Tech companies are not actually doing anything to treat like what's at the root of that, mm-hmm. which is like systemic mm-hmm. inequity. They're just trying to solve a, a superficial problem by having people spend money on their tools so
0: they can mm-hmm. profit off of it. Well, it's kind of sick. Like if you simplify it too, let's say they fix the quote unquote achievement gap. What happens to their business? Like the, like tobacco companies, for example, like mm-hmm. you don't want to make them too deadly because then you run out of customers very quickly. It's a very, mm-hmm. it's a very stark version. I'm, I'm clearly not going to get sponsored by one of these tech <laughs> companies, but. Um, Me neither. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it makes sense. I mean. That's their whole customer base, and then the longer you can drag it out
1: I mean I mean in a way, if you're a business person from a business person's perspective, it's brilliant because you create a reliable revenue stream you know, and you create yeah. you create you create it either you create these tools that you want to scale out to the whole country or you create something that's subscription based mm-hmm. so you have to pay for it every year oh, yeah. which a lot of tech
0: tech yeah, a lot of stuff that I get recommended do, is all subscription based
1: totally and... um so it it's just when you zoom out and you think about it in that way it's just like wow that is actually what's going on i think that's why agency and autonomy and independence are most important to me because like when you like we have to work within the system right and when you're talking about being an anti-racist educator and actually like getting to the the root of the problems that face education it's that it's systemic inequity right mm-hmm. so there's this book i read a lot of a lot of people have read it it's a great book called Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain mm. by Isaretta Hammond. And she talks about the difference between independent and dependent learners. And that oftentimes in schools that serve historically marginalized populations, because they're trying to treat these quote unquote achievement gaps, they try to teach kids in like the most efficient way they can think of which is like that very didactic you know everybody sits in rows and listens and regurgitates type of teaching which only fosters dependence on the teacher and dependent learners leave their school systems unable to learn on their own and solve problems on their own and take care of themselves on their own you know right and so she argues that like the most one of the most important things in culturally responsive teaching is fostering independence Mm -hmm. and so that links to personalized learning in the sense that like if your learning's personalized, but you're fostering dependence, then you're not actually doing anyone a service at
0: all. Yeah. Do you ever get tired of like between Instagram and then obviously your career? And I don't know if you still do stuff with ed tech companies. Probably not, I'm assuming. But do you ever get tired of just like talking about education stuff as we talk on a podcast that's related to that? <laughs> you,
1: don't, you know, I actually don't. Um, which is actually that was like my now husband's biggest criticism of me <laughs> when we first started dating. <laughs> there was one night we were out, and he just looked at me. He's like, "Can we just talk about something else?" Other than <laughs> and I was like, "Maybe. I'm not sure if I can do that. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You know, it's like when you become fascinated by something, you just you're just fascinated by it. And yeah, I'm just yeah. fascinated by education. I I I'm fascinated by how kids learn. Mm-hmm. Like I just think that's so cool. Yeah." Like I'm teaching, you know, I'm teaching them math facts right now and just getting them to do it in a way, like talk about independence again, right? Like getting, getting them to do it in a way where they're actually thinking critically about, you know, why is three times five, three times five? Mm-hmm. Like that's so cool to watch them grapple with that and then sure. slowly become more efficient with that. So I'm fascinated by that. And I could talk about that for days.
0: It's probably a good sign. Like you're clearly invested into it. Like, yeah, I got in an Uber once with a guy that. And I didn't initiate this conversation, but mm-hmm. he was talking about how he used to date a principal, and he's like, "Yeah, I had to leave her, man, because she just wouldn't stop talking about her job." And I was like, "You might not have your same passion about being an Uber driver, but like maybe yeah. this lady likes what she's doing. But it, yeah. it's probably a good sign. Like yeah. at the end of the day,
1: I think too. It's like, um, yeah, I agree. I think it is good for us to learn how to separate from it, though. You know, well, and I'm I'm glad that my husband said that to me." then because it well well, yeah i mean he's (laughs) the sweetest guy so he like he said it in a way that was just like Mm, okay i need to talk about something else other than you know (laughs) and it mirrored it back to me like wow i really do let this consume me Mm. and so i i passions don't have to consume you right you can be passionate about something and then you can go home and like sit on the couch and like
0: watch this is us (laughs) <laughs> and like not think about your job for a couple hours, you know? <laughs> right. Um, Even with the so, guilt that we get on like social media and stuff. But yeah.
1: I mean, that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. That there's like this perception of teachers. It's like that savior mentality, right? That we're supposed mm-hmm. to just give up everything to teach and it's it really shouldn't be just on our backs to to fix the system, you know? Yeah. But that's the other thing that fascinates me about teaching is the system. You know, there's so much wrong with it. And <laughs> it fascinates me how we find all of these things to talk about other than the system. Like we we find personalized learning, you know, <laughs> right, right. or we find
0: stuff that's still in know. the same shape or structure that we try to work around yeah. rather than fixing the structure.
1: We find people to blame too, you know, yeah, which right. I think we're all guilty of that. You know, we're all mm-hmm. guilty of doing that. We, no, it's your fault. You're doing this wrong and that's why this isn't working. And it's no, it's, it's this huge system that we're in that just doesn't yeah. serve everybody. Yeah, absolutely. It's not built to.
0: Now you know I had to ask. And that we can always pause for time too. But yeah. Has there ever been a moment? Because you've been teaching for a while now. Ten years, um, yeah. Which is, is awesome. Like I'm hoping I get to that point, obviously. But has there ever been a moment that just stands out there like, holy shit, how did I like what do I do now? Like it could be student related or you you had the one with the admin of course, but yeah. anything in the classroom when you're like, Oh God, like can't wait to talk about this on Ryan's podcast in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> like my second day of teaching. I turned around and there was a kid in the class and I said, I just go to class, man. And he goes, fuck you. I'm going to picture like something like that. Like yeah. some crazy shit. We were like, oh, oh, stepped in it. Oh my or... God. I think,
1: I think that happens every year. <laughs> no, really multiple times. You mm-hmm. know, it's like you get, you, you think you get, you have moments where you're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> because I think kids, I mean, you have the way The way I get through it is I'll go back to the, those moments in a second, but the way I get through it is I, I always remember, I try to remember, that when a kid does something, it's like every everything a kid does is is an assessment, you know, it's like, or it's giving you information about them. Right. And it's you have to remember that when a kid does something like that, it's like there's a reason they're doing that. It's something they don't know how to do, or it's because, it's because of something they don't, they don't know how to do, or it's because of something that happened to them. Mm-hmm. Something that happened to them that they don't know how to cope with, right? Mm-hmm. and. Yeah. It's, it sucks as a teacher because you're like, that was so disrespectful. I can't believe that that kid said that to me. You know, right, I experienced right. that very, very often, very
0: often. Even in a school that like affluent families do, right? Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, I think, you know, I don't want paint to paint a picture of like what was me because I'm very lucky. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very lucky. I, I work for a school that supports my autonomy, that um, is well-funded, thats well funded So I can take my kids on cool field trips and like I can be inventive with my curriculum and, you know, and I have so many supportive families, Mm -hmm. so many supportive families that, that would bend over backwards for me, you know, Mm -hmm. so this is not like a woe is me. I just think every community has their obstacles. And I think in an affluent community, you know, it's the the more, the more money you make, mostly, this isn't, doesn't apply to everybody, (laughs) but like, you know, you have more people doing things for you. You have less. You have less barriers, and so when you teach kids in affluent communities, they have less barriers to things, so they have less resilience. You know, mm-hmm. they are accustomed to. Well, mom ordered ordered it on Amazon last night, and it just came on my doorstep. <laughs> you know, right, right? They're they're just more accustomed to those things, and so what I notice in in my populations that I work with is like there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of um, impulsivity, you know, and those are the things that I that I spend a lot of time teaching
0: sure yeah and i
1: i'm i'm benefited in terms of you know i have very few kids that struggle with reading very few i have very few kids that struggle with like with really any of the academics you know and so i can do a lot with that but there are other things that are challenging
0: too yeah executive skills and things like that Mm -hmm. i had a kid tell me the other day too so we recently had to hire a civics teacher uh, for the position (laughs) And as uh, a student that I've had, this is like the fourth class I've had him in mm-hmm. uh, since he's been in high school. And he goes, he just turns to me, and goes, Mr. F, I-, I like civics and all. And don't take this the wrong way, but I'm just so tired of talking about this country. <laughs> that's a Same. great me too, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those great quotes, but. I got
1: to say too, that's one of the cool things about working for a private school is I, I have the opportunity to shape the curriculum. So we can talk about, I'm sure we don't get as deep as, you know, high schoolers do. <laughs> But, you know, we do have some really cool conversations about race, about identity. Mm-hmm. We're actually studying Chicago right now. We're studying we should we study Chicago all year, but right now we're studying Chicago history. And so we learn about just like some key points in Chicago history. We learn about like the population boom in the eighteen hundreds when lots of immigrants came and some of the like anti-immigrant propaganda mm-hmm. that was being yeah, yeah. pushed out at that time. We learn we learn about the Great Migration, which is like when there lots of black Americans from um the south came up to the north um we learned about jim crow and you know like whatever um, all these things that i don't think a typical third grader would learn about no, you know not. <laughs> we actually in the in the winter term like january to march we learn we do a neighborhood study and we go to uptown and we learn about the strengths of uptown but we learn about the challenges they face we talk about affordable housing and gentrification and all That's these right these really cool things you know um
0: and again, third graders. Right. That's awesome.
1: But so one of my one of my third graders the other day, he, we were talking about race um, in conjunction with our lessons on the Great Migration. And we have thinking journals in our classroom. And so they, I'll give them a prompt and they'll just write, you know. And one of them said, Mr. France, I noticed that there are so many black football players. I said, yeah, tell me more about that. He said, yeah, I just wonder why there are so many black football players. So that's an interesting thing to wonder. Hmm. i wonder that too he said oh and now i think about it he's like except for like tom brady and you know and so he started listing uh, i don't know anything about sports but he so i (laughs) I can't remember the names he mentioned but he listed off like these quarterbacks and he said oh except for like these guys oh and they're quarterbacks and i wonder if it's because like them and the coaches are like the leaders of the team and i wonder if that's like segregation and like granted there's some terminology there that he's not quite understanding yet you know Hmm. but the fact that that our lessons and our discussions about race, and the t- autonomy that my school gives me to to talk about that stuff, supported him in identifying something that's really important to him—football. Yeah. And noticing the like racial dynamic in football, I was like, "Good for you, buddy."
0: Yeah, that's you such know a that cool whiteboard moment. Yeah,
1: and that—I mean—that's personalized learning, right? Like that yeah. is so personal to him, and it's it's weaving in that thing that I want him to learn about, which is yeah. race and yeah. privilege. So there, there are so many benefits to like having that, I guess I don't have to, I don't have to tell teachers that there are a lot of benefits to having that autonomy, you know, and like, and being
0: in a, in a, in a setting like that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, Paul, thanks for, for coming over. Yeah, and of course. I know it's different thanks than Instagram, but not, you're a podcast pro at this point, but. How do you like doing the long, longer format? I, I like this a lot better than Instagram, actually. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna start his We're gonna podcast. We actually have tomorrow. a conversation. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's great. Better, yeah. Well, thanks again for being on, though. Uh, yeah, everybody else, thanks so much for listening. Uh, you can check out Paul at what's the Instagram? Paul underscore Emrick. As we plug the Instagram I'm talking about yeah <laughs> the podcast. <right? laughs> uh, so you can check out Paul's content. He posts a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff that's really uh, uplifting and realistic. Uh, really pointing out the size of teaching that I think we need a little bit more of, uh, especially today. So thanks so much for listening. You can reach us at Classroom Brew on social media. There's my social media plug. uh, Classroombrew at gmail.com. You can send me a voice memo. Uh, If you want to be on the show too, that works as well. Hit that rating and review. And until next week, class dismissed.